0: Ba Ba-ba-ba. ba 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 casting one two three Ba 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 boop 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 boop, boop 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 I guess that's working So here's the show So here's the show So here's the show do do Wait, no, I don't start the show with do-do-do. What, what am I doing? Uh, hey, everybody, welcome to Curmudgeon's Corner for Saturday, December 4th, 2021. It is just before 2330 UTC as I'm starting. Uh, as you can tell, I'm starting a little bit later in the week than I usually do, and hey, I'm alone. Ivana's not here. I have not gathered anybody else to do it. Not even Alex, although he asked. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing it later in the week because, uh, Thursday I had, my wife had an event and I was making sure that, uh, Alex was not bugging her during that event. Uh, Friday, Yvonne couldn't do it because I guess he was going to Disney World again. Um, and so now it's Saturday and I'm doing it just in the nick of time to make sure that I get at least the start of the podcast in for the appropriate week, um, and, yeah, uh, you know, I've got, uh, you know, I, I do have kids running around. My my son Alex's uh, friend Kalen is visiting in person for the first time uh, in well over a year. Uh, there was one visit during one of the lulls in the pandemic uh, in like fall 2020. There was uh, things were looking better for a bit and we let her visit once and then it got worse again. And so it's been over a year. Uh, so uh, they're running around and doing kid stuff. Uh, But uh, yeah, it's podcast time So let me tell you the agenda for today Uh, There are basically going to be two main sections of the show Uh, The first round uh, is going to be pandemic-related stuff Uh, And I'm going to sort of I've got several subtopics within that But uh, first round, pandemic-related stuff Second round is kind of a lightning round I've got four different things I want to talk about a little bit Um, The abortion at the Supreme Court uh, General democratic pessimism um twitter's new image policy um which got a little news this week uh, and uh that school shooting uh including the nutso parents um so that is the plan um and uh yeah i'm just gonna jump right into that rather than taking a break first and then doing it so l- let me start with the pandemic and, and and yes if you hear a little ticking in the background i am once again using the timer to sort of keep myself on track um but as usual with pandemic, let's start with pandemic trends. And, you know, I like to keep things worldwide. I know things are happening in different parts of the world and uh, there's a U.S. focus, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, worldwide, here is the key element. Like, I, you know, cases are surging. There is no question that cases are surging. They are uh, almost worldwide back at the peak level uh, of of. Yeah, the last peak, Um, looking at uh, the Worldometers chart. Let's see, what was that? The the last peak uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, was was at its maximum in mid-August. And we're almost back to those same levels. But the really, really important thing is that so far, that is not happening with Deaths. Uh, which indicates that a lot more of the infections are less severe. And that undoubtedly has to do with the uh, prevalence of vaccination, which isn't great. Like if you look on a worldwide basis, we're still only at uh, a little over 40% fully vaccinated, 44% as of the latest numbers, uh, fully vaccinated on a worldwide basis. And I guess I shouldn't say that's not doing great. Uh, Honestly, like, it's a lot better than 5%. No, it's not 60, 70, 80%, anything like that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not bad. We're, we're gradually climbing up towards 50. I would love it if it was a lot faster. But the greater the prevalence of vaccines worldwide, then the greater the chance that even when there are infections, they don't lead to deaths. Um, or to serious hospitalizations, et cetera, et cetera. That's a different number. I haven't been tracking that as directly. But basically, if you look at deaths on a worldwide basis, we've kind of been flat for the last two months. Um, which, you know, which is great. Uh, a little, uh, You know... Uh, you keep seeing the cases going up and you keep worrying that uh deaths are going to follow so far it has not now we are up a little bit like uh, i i've now started in my you know i don't do it daily anymore i do it maybe once a week but i do the, the these tweets uh with an update with some charts and stuff based on uh the the worldometers uh uh global numbers um, it's worldometers.info if anybody wants to look and they have a coronavirus section with lots of neat graphs and stuff. Uh, there are lots of other places who do that, but, uh, I just like the, the way that worldometers does, it makes it easy for me to grab the data and make my own graphs, et cetera, et cetera. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but you know, if you compare to a week ago, we're up a little more than a percent. If you compare to a month ago, we're up almost 3%. So there is a little bit of an increasing trend. Over the last month or so, um, but compared to a quarter ago, uh, we're we're down almost twenty eight percent from three months ago, and probably the most important uh, comparison because you know there's a strong feeling that this quote unquote should be a seasonal disease. Now, honestly, we're only in our you know second time around so like if there are like annual patterns uh you know that now's when we'd start to see them you know so we we can't say oh yes this has a history of every winter it's bad because because we're only about to start our second winter like so we haven't built those patterns yet but if you are going to try to look at something like that, the year-over-year year comparison is probably about the best you can do, and we are down a full 36% from a year ago at this time. And a year ago at this time, uh, deaths headed up rapidly, uh, they you know, they weren't anywhere near their peak, they were sort of towards the end of January, uh, but they were heading up rapidly still at this time, uh, and we're flat this time. Uh crossing my fingers, you know, I, again, you know, and we'll talk in a second about, um, uh, the new variant, uh, what is it? Omicron, Omicron, you're something. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh, uh, Omicron. Um, uh, but, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, but so far, um, anything from that has yet to show up in these death numbers. There's been a huge increase in cases, uh, specifically most of the worldwide increase, uh, it is in Europe, um, and it just hasn't been followed by the deaths yet. Um, I I shouldn't quite say that there has been an increase in deaths in Europe, but it's been compensated for by further declines elsewhere. Um, and so the the upswing in cases though is much much bigger than the upswing in deaths. Um, so. You know, and that's, uh, I mentioned it last week, I've probably mentioned it before, it's vaccinations that make it so that, you know, first of all, reduce your chances of getting infected, but even if you do get infected, reduce your chances of it being serious, which in turn reduces your chances of dying, but also improve treatments. Um, and that's even before these pills come online. There, There's uh, at least two different uh treatment pills that are going through the approval processes right now. Uh, The first of them uh, turned out when they did a little bit more data, wasn't quite as effective as they hoped, but it's still, you know, a lot better than nothing, and uh, so uh, that one's about to come online, and then there's another one that's uh, like about a month behind it, I guess, in the approval processes. Um, But even before that, we're already so much better at treating this, and add to that vaccinations, uh, you know, bringing down the severity even amongst people who do get it. So, you know, cross your fingers. I I said cross your fingers already. You know, What, where did I, I should research where that came from. Like why, I mean, I I guess, is it similar to like making a cross is like the cross your fingers. Was it originally like making a cross, like the Christian cross or something like you're warding off a vampire and then only later became crossing the two fingers on one hand and whatever we don't need to ward off any vampires here, but the, uh, uh, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I keep anticipating that there'll be at least some sort of bump this winter, um, but uh, not yet. Not yet. Uh, we, ha- you know, the improvement did stop. We have flattened. We have completely flattened. We're not getting better every week over week, uh, But um, but no big peak yet. We'll see. We'll see if that continues. Okay. Next up. I did want to talk about the stupid travel bans associated with Omicron. Um, I've seen a lot of debate on this uh, in terms of, on the one hand is, Hey, we don't know very much about this new variant Uh, better safe than sorry. Let's take action now, not wait until it's too late. And look, I've been one of the ones who very much said you can't afford to wait by the time you have all the data. It's, it's too late. It's already spread too far. But in this case, the, the, the bans that were put in place by a variety of countries, not just the U.S., were mostly pretty stupid bans. I think there are a couple countries that have done it differently. And by that, I mean a couple things. One, they were very porous bans. Like, if you're going to do a ban, do a freaking ban. Just say there is no travel coming in from this country. End of story. Or put really intense sort of like quarantine, like, okay, if you really want to come here, you have to quarantine yourself, you have to take a daily test and have so many negatives in a row, and and then we'll let you in, you know? And there's some of that in place for most countries, most back and forth countries. Travel between countries still requires some degree of testing and proving that you're negative, et cetera, et cetera. But like, if you're gonna do it, do it wholeheartedly and and solidly. Like, you really want to wall off your country, uh, which of course isn't really practical. Like, yeah, as as the whole like debate over the 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 U.S.'s southern border uh, implies, like. E- it's impossible to really and truly close a border anywhere. Um, At least not with any level of effort anybody's actually willing to make. Um, But make it, like, solid. But, like, most of the bans that have been put in place are, have holes. You know, we'll let you in if you're a citizen. We'll let you in if you're a legal resident. We'll, you know, let you in, uh, you know, and and they delayed like they they announced that there would be a ban like several days in the future letting a rush of people in at the at that last bit um and so they're not it's not really effective anyway um now i've heard a lot of people argue that okay look it still potentially slows things down you know even if you're not letting nobody in, just letting less people in, or slowing down the number per day or whatever, can potentially slow down the spread. Okay, I buy that. That that is that is potentially true. Like in, but it, it, you know, instead of um, instead of an outright ban or just saying yes, citizens, no, non citizens, whatever, you could just say we'll only let let in. X number of people in per day or whatever, um, and, and and that would slow things down potentially some, but I even if it was true that it hadn't already gotten in elsewhere, um, I'm unsure that the amount of difference that would make would be worth it. Uh, you know, maybe you're changing things by a few days one way or another. But, and and I guess this applies even if it had already gotten in. Like, I was going to say, but we know at this point, by the time they were putting in those travel bans, this thing was already all over the place. (laughs) You know? Yes, they found the very first one in South Africa. Because that's where the monitoring picked it up. But, There's no assurance at all based on what we know that it actually originated in South Africa. It could have originated somewhere. This is just the first place they detected it. But within days of them saying, okay, this is here, other cases were found uh, in Europe, in Asia. And at first, the first few cases they found were indeed from people who had recently traveled to South Africa. But then they started finding cases that were not (laughs) <laughs> where there was no known connection to South Africa which means that it was already growing um what the, in, in the community spread method as they say um all over the place before it was even identified so it's kind of like the you know to to use the cliche the closing the barn door after the horses have left kind of thing it was too late um now maybe you could still th- maybe you could still slow things down. There's a general principle that in any sort of pandemic situation, the less travel the better. And that in, that is on the national scale, like people crossing national borders, that's on the local scale, like don't go to the next city over if you don't have to, and that's on the very local scale. You know, don't go to the gym if you don't have to, you know? Um those are all just general You know, the less people are mingling with each other, the less spread they're going to be. But I'm not sure the travel bans at the border is the right way to do that. But then here's where, you know, it sort of goes completely off the rails to me. Like, yes, the the bans they put in place were porous. Yes, the bans they put in place were too late. Um, But they were also incredibly arbitrary and not based on data of any sort. Um, the U.S. in particular blocked off, you know, a whole bunch of countries in Southern Africa, you know, and of which only South Africa had had any verified cases of this. Meanwhile, by the time they put the bans in place, there were a whole bunch of European countries. There were a few Asian countries that had also detected this variant. But were any of those banned? No. What kind of sense does that make? Like if you are going to put on a rule, you want to you don't need, you know, ideally like the way I the way I would impose it if if I was going to do something like this. I wouldn't even come up with a list of countries. I would define a criteria. Now, I don't know enough to know what that criteria should be. Uh for the sake of argument, say that you've had more than x number of cases per 1000 Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Um, And then on some sort of regular basis, you refresh which countries breach that threshold. And those are the ones that can't come. And all, and also, by the way, I'd compare it to our own, right? Like, you know, it's one thing, you know, to you know, to block people coming in from a country where case counts are higher than than the U.S. It's an entirely stupid thing if you're blocking from a lower, it, whatever, you know. So, like, the point is though don't come up with a list of countries that you re-debate every once in a while and can do something arbitrary. No. Debate a criteria and publish that criteria and say, every Sunday we will evaluate every country in the world based on this criteria and you're either on this list or you're not. Boom. Done. You know, and and then as new information it comes in, if you need to change the criteria, so be it. Change the criteria. But it's backwards if you're doing it the other way. And I think, frankly, they've made the same mistake on everything, like, you know, uh, in terms of mask mandates and uh, restrictions on large gatherings and restaurant openings and all of this kind of thing. None of these things should be some committee periodically meeting and deciding is it okay to open restaurants? Should we have a mask mandate? no, they should be publishing a criteria and applying that criteria at the lowest level possible so like if you can apply it at the county level instead of the state level awesome um et cetera uh but no like it 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 drives me crazy uh I, 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 because you you get all of these inconsistent things that make no sense whatsoever like we're gonna block th- this set of five countries that have absolutely no cases of the new Omicron uh, variant. Um, But we're not going to block these countries that have a bunch of them. What? What are you even doing? Like, set your your guidelines and follow them. And then change the guidelines when appropriate. But base it on the guidelines. And, you know, I know, especially governments like to do this stuff. Like, even things like you know, who's, and that's telling me it's time to move on to, you know, my next pandemic subtopic. But even like governments deciding which countries we consider to be sponsors of terrorism and things like that, you know, define your freaking criteria and then stick by them. And I, I know some of the reasons they don't do that, but still, it's like, ah, don't make it an arbitrary personal judgment all the time. Define your terms, define when you think a certain thing is necessary and then apply those rules. And yeah. And, and, and again, we have imperfect knowledge. You're going to be adjusting what those rules are over time. And that's understandable as we learn more, but you should still be defining a set of rules and applying them uniformly. Okay. Time for a little on Omicron. Omicron, Omicron. I always, yeah, I, 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 I'm I, making fun of all the different ways of per, of mispronouncing uh, Omicron, um, including Omicron. It's Omicron or Omicron. Uh, and those are apparently both legitimate pronunciations depending on accents and where you live, blah, blah, blah. But uh, Omicron is wrong. Unicron is wrong. That's a transformer. That's the one I keep getting it confused with. Um, but here's the thing. Um, we still don't know a lot. Uh, they are still collecting data. Things are still coming in. You know, we... we The best I can tell right now, the best data indicates that Omicron is spreading faster and out-competing Delta, which means it's growing rapidly in the places where it already is. And... Uh, and it's taking over from Delta. Like I saw one chart uh, saying it had already reached 50% of cases uh, in whatever region of South Africa they first detected it in. Um, and it's only been a couple weeks. Uh, so if, if it's as serious as, other, as Delta has been in terms of symptoms, deaths, etc., then that would be really bad <laughs> because it's growing even faster. It means that there's a, um, an incoming huge wave coming. Um, there are a couple things that make you want to be a little bit more cautious, though. One is that they're still trying to determine how well the vaccines do against them. There was worry that Omicron would be better at evading previous immunity, whether it be from natural or from vaccines. Um, the jury's still out on that, uh, for, and again, all of these are preliminary. Everybody, all of the experts keep saying, look, there's no way around it. We really won't know the answer to most of these questions for two to three more weeks. Uh, maybe longer. We'll have some hints before then, but you know, it just takes time to collect the data. It takes time for cases to progress. It takes time to get to the outcome of those cases, uh, so we don't know. Uh, but from the preliminary stuff I'm seeing so far, uh, Omicron is better at evading um, natural infection uh, and, and might be a little bit better at evading vaccine infection, but the vaccines seem to be holding up pretty well. Um, the vaccine companies are saying that, hey, if needed – they could roll out a version of the vaccine specifically targeted targeted at Omicron within three months. Now, three months is a long time when you have something spreading out of control, but that can be done. Uh, but again, it's, it's unclear. It does look like it is spreading faster. It does seem like at least to some degree it can evade vaccines and to a bigger degree can evade previous infection immunity uh but those are still unclear and like that preliminary data may end up being wrong the other piece of preliminary data that people are hanging their hats on though uh is that the initial anecdotal reports are that if you do get infected with omicron the percentage of severe cases is actually less that a lot of what Omicron is doing are mild cases that are not impacting hospitalizations or deaths very much. Uh, that people are getting Omicron and, you know, it, it's a bad cold. And then they get over it. And so that may be a positive test result, but if they're not hospitalized and they don't die, and out competes the deadlier versions of the virus... That's actually a good development. Now, it's been pointed out that even in that scenario, more opportunity for it to evolve further, for there to be more mutations, more variations, et cetera. Um, but it's hard to tell. <laughs> and, and so you know, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's, ah, blah, blah, but again, they are going to have to wait a few weeks to find out. <laughs> But as I said before, we do need to apply reasonable precautions, assuming the worst case, until we know better. Uh, Because if we just do nothing until we know it's bad, then it will be too late. However, we need to be smart about those things. Get yourself freaking vaccinated if you haven't already. Get your friends vaccinated. It's telling me to move on. It's telling me to move on. Get your friends vaccinated. Get your family vaccinated. That is number one. And then it's all the other stuff. Wear masks when you're around people who aren't part of your own family indoors. There's plenty of evidence. Outdoors, unless you're in a super crowded place, you're fine without the mask. Some people are still like the mask even outside. No, come on. The evidence, if, if you're not in a crowded place, you don't need the mask outside. However, if you're in a crowded place, especially one without a breeze, you damn well still do need the mask outside too. But certainly inside. And we want to update the quality of those masks. You know, as we went from the original variants to Delta... It was time to get rid of the cloth masks and move to like N95s or KN95s or whatever uh, when you are wearing the mask. And that's the kind of precautionary stuff that should probably be going on. Okay, Uh, now now, I say that, but you still have to be reasonable, right? Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, my, my son's friend Kalen is visiting for the first time in over a year. Uh, and why are we okay with that? We're okay with, and they're not wearing masks while they're playing around in the house. Uh, they are fully exposed to each other. Um, and, but we're okay with that because we know, um, Alex is vaccinated. Everyone in our family is vaccinated. Uh, we haven't actually asked, and maybe we should have, maybe we're negligent. We haven't asked if his friend Kalen is vaccinated yet. She's only been eligible a very short time because she's under 12 still. And, uh, but I believe most of her family actually was exposed. Most of her family had COVID like a month or two ago. So they've got some of that going on. Um, and yeah, we know, we know her mom is at least vaccinated because she works for a place that requires it, et cetera. Um, but there's, there's a reasonable risk. It's one person. It's we're all vaccinated. So even if something happens, it's likely to not be too severe. Uh, They're they're younger, you know, um, so you have to balance things off. But as if we start seeing big increases from, uh, you know, then, you know, you up the precautions. That's just naturally what you should do to to sort of keep it under control. Uh, But how bad will... Omicron. Omicron. How bad will Omicron be? Ah, I don't know. It might be, like like I said, there's some evidence that it might actually be mild, in which case having it spread further is not... I'm not going to say it's good. It's not. You still want to minimize the spread, even if it's mild. However, you might not have to worry about it quite as much. Or, <laughs> They'll find out it's actually just as bad as the other. And then, yeah, you know, a lot of places are gonna be in trouble. Okay, one last thing on pandemic front. And it's sort of slightly off from this kind of stuff. It's slightly old, uh, which was just the new stuff that came out this week about Donald Trump testing positive for COVID before the presidential debate with Joe Biden. (sighs) Yeah, look, um, some folks are saying this actually isn't that big a deal, but according to the protocols, uh, of the debate, it shouldn't have happened, uh, or it should have at the very least been fully disclosed, Uh, Trump and his team did not disclose at all that there was a positive test. Um, His whole family was blatantly flaunting the fact that they weren't wearing masks at that debate, even though it was required. Uh, Look, obviously things at at the debate, like, you know, Trump did not give COVID to Joe Biden. Can you even imagine if Trump had given COVID to Joe Biden and then Joe Biden had died? What the hell would have been the ramifications of that? But that didn't happen, obviously. But it's just another example of the well-known history at this point about Trump lying and not giving a shit about Trump diminishing the seriousness of COVID and everything that was going on, not paying the slightest attention to the health recommendations of how people should be behaving. I mean, we we knew all this. We knew all this, but, you know, the... It, It's once again yet another specific anecdote being revealed in these books that are coming out describing what happened in the administration of a specific incident that just verifies everything everybody thought anyway, (laughs) right? I mean, yes, Donald Trump's an asshole. Yes, Donald Trump didn't give a shit about COVID. Yes, he didn't care that he was endangering everybody around him potentially. You know, and he may not have given it to Biden, but we know not that long after there was that Rose Garden spreader event at uh the the, the 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 nomination of the Supreme Court Justice of Barrett. Um and it looks relatively clear at this point that the the super spreader at that event was probably Donald Trump himself. giving COVID to like all kinds of people that he met and shook hands with. And I don't know, he doesn't like shaking hands, but who with people, he was around at those events. And even though they had the main event at the Rose garden, which was outside and therefore was ventilated. And therefore, as I said, a few minutes ago, masks don't make a huge amount of difference in that scenario. uh, As long as there's a good breeze or whatever. Uh, stagnant air is a different question. It was kind of crowded, so they probably should have been wearing masks anywhere, but at least they were outside for that part. But you see all the pictures of the outdoors event. You don't as often hear about the fact that there were tons of indoor receptions and stuff uh, within minutes of that outdoor event and with, you know, many of the same people. So yeah. (sighs) we're going to keep hearing these reports for the rest of our lives of various random things Donald Trump has done that just like yep okay yeah that sounds like Donald Trump and you know some of them are blatantly illegal and even so nobody like at this point it's hard to get people to like raise their eyebrows because it's like yeah yeah it's Donald Trump um And that's just what he is. And that's what people meant, like, at the very beginning of his administration of don't normalize Donald Trump, don't normalize the things he's doing. That's exactly what happened. At this point, everybody is so sick and tired of hearing of all of the irresponsible, gross, stupid, unethical things that Donald Trump does that, you know, it's just like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, because we also at this point kind of get the feeling, well, there's never any consequences to any of that stuff. So what worth, what is it worth even thinking about? Yeah, he's bad. He sucks. He does all kinds of awful things. We can tear our hair out over it, but it's not going to change anything. He's not going to suffer any consequences from it. Uh, in some of these cases, like when we're getting a story of something that happened, you, you know, well, th- this one's not that long ago. I guess it was 2020, um, you know, but it's a long time ago, right? You know, it's not even current. So why are you even bothering me with it? And it, it, of course, he's he's still in the he's still in the picture, unfortunately. So it matters because he might be back. And the example he sets is being followed by all kinds of other Republicans as well. Because, hey, it worked for him. Guess it'll work for me. (sighs) Okay, enough. Uh, That's all about the pandemic stuff. Um, I'm going to take a break. Uh, For you, it'll probably be a minute or so while I play one of the little breaks. For me, it will probably be many hours. Maybe even a whole day. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'll I'll finish this thing up uh, later. Uh, and then uh, the next round, we're going to talk about abortion at SCOTUS. We're going to talk about Democrats and their chances and general pessimism on that. We're going to talk about Twitter's image policy. And we're going to talk about school shootings. Uh, and, yeah, that's what you have coming up next. See you at the other side of this break. For the test, Dracula, I'm ready, Frankenstein, let us begin. Creepy Classics celebrates the classic horror and science fiction films from the silent era through the 1960s and retro TV horror from the 1950s to the 1970s. Visit creepyclassics.com for all your classic video needs. And when you buy something, tell Ron that the curmudgeons say hello. Well, look at that. I'm back. Uh, And it's been a little over 30 hours uh, since I said goodbye at the beginning of that break or said since i said it, i was taking a break you you know what i mean uh anyway uh by the time i'm recording this it's a little after 6:30 utc on december 6th uh still sunday night uh here in seattle uh or i'm not actually in seattle i'm a little north of seattle but yeah no one cares let me just continue uh before i move on to the four topics i said in this section i did want to make a couple more notes about covid that in the, these intervening 30 hours, um, I've thought about a little bit. One, or noticed, whatever, whatever I, you know, I keep thinking about what I said and I have a couple other things to say. Now, first is um, when I was talking about the possibility that Omicron was more mild uh, in terms of uh, hospitalizations and deaths. The one thing that I've seen pointed out uh, is long COVID, um, and a number of people have pointed out, "Hey, if you're doing analysis of the impact of COVID, and you are not taking into account the percentage of people who get quote unquote mild cases, uh, and but then have long, lingering effects." that last, in some cases, months, in some cases, people who had this thing in early 2020 have still not ever gotten over it. Uh, you know, and there's all kinds of different side effects that have been part of that. And people are still doing research on that. And there's a lot of anecdotal stuff and not a lot of really solid information yet. And we may not, it may be a while <laughs> until we really know about that, because people are, of course, concentrating on keeping people from dying and keeping people out of the hospital. Uh, but once that kind of thing gets somewhat under control, then the emphasis is going to shift towards, uh, you know, these people and I've seen estimates around maybe 10% of people who've had COVID and recover have sort of these long-term lingering effects. So like most people who get COVID and recover really do recover and they're back to normal, but like 10% or so. And I I'm spitballing that out of memory. Like I, I don't have an actual percentage, uh, but I've heard that number bandied about um, have, you know, effects that last a long time, and uh, I've seen many of them classified as strong enough to be a noticeable disability. Like, they cannot resume the kinds of activities they were doing before COVID fully. Um, and so, point number one, you got to take that into account. So, like, when I said, you know, hey, if it's, if it's mild, if if, if it, if it's, If it spreads more rapidly, but it's much more mild, then in some senses that might be good. Well, maybe, but there's a lot of downsides too. So again, the best possibility is still get freaking vaccinated social distance as much as possible, wear your freaking masks until this thing dies down a bit more than where we are today. I, I mean, you know, it's never going to zero probably, or at least not for a long, long time, but you know, bringing you, it's still too high. It's not time. It's not yet at the level where it's okay to say, Oh, this is fine. We'll just live with this forever at this level. Uh, not not yet. I mean, and the people who think it is, I, I get really frustrated with that. Second, though, is even in the last 30 hours, there's been additional evidence starting to come in that the idea that Omicron is more mild uh, is not being borne up by all the facts. Uh, some of the initial data, uh, it's just a lot of the population that they had data on was younger. Uh, A lot of the, a lot were, um, were breakthrough infections amongst people who were vaccinated and, you know, to, to understand whether it's better or worse, you have to have sort of a, Uh, You you have to properly pair things, right, and make sure you're comparing apples to apples, the same age groups to the same age group, vaccinated to vaccinated, unvaccinated to unvaccinated. And as that data is filling out, uh, it seems to be looking like it's about the same in terms of severity. But, again, people keep saying over and over again, you know, beware of preliminary data. Uh, It will flesh out over the next few weeks. Okay. Oh, and knocking things all over the place. I'm getting my timer ready. I'm getting my timer ready for the, the four segments I said I would do. So here we go. Okay. First up, Supreme Court uh, is hearing this case from uh, Mississippi that impacts Roe versus Wade. Uh, bottom line, um, you know, it. it all of the analysis of the oral arguments, is that what they call them, oral arguments, verbal whatever. um in any case, uh they they had the arguments in front of court and it was actually broadcast live uh uh which is something they have not done before. Only the audio, not the the video, but it was broadcast live and uh, all the major news networks had it, you know. And the analysis across the board from everybody I've listened to. And, you know, normally, you know, there's some disagreement. People argue about it. People always are always saying things like, it's really hard to tell what's going on from the oral arguments. And, you know, because a lot of the times the justices are not revealing their position. They're just sort of asking questions to make sure they fully understand the arguments on both sides, blah, blah, blah. This time there seemed to be an overwhelming consensus um, that it looks like you have probably six votes to uphold the Mississippi law, uh, which uh, restricts abortion down to 15 weeks. Uh, It says after 15 weeks, no go, um, which is less than the viability threshold. Validated by Casey, Um, the and the question is: so either, and I just want to be clear about this. If that happens, then whether or not they formally say that they are rejecting Roe versus Wade and overturning that and saying that was an incorrect judgment, even if they don't explicitly say that. Um, they are effectively gutting it in a uh by saying that yeah okay it, 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 maybe we'll technically leave some aspect of roe behind, but we're we're going to drastically increase the freedom states have to regulate this um and it probably won't stop at 15 weeks, you know? Um, and so regardless of whether they say the magic words, uh, they are going to radically change the position of abortion in the United States. Um, and to be clear, it's already been eroding and eroding and eroding over the last few decades in red States. Um, and so that effectively you know it's been harder and harder and harder uh to get an abortion in many states the number of clinics has reduced 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 um and you know this thing in Texas is still hanging out there um and that'll probably you, there's a separate decision on that you know but for this one but the, the then the question is do they actually do they actually say the magic words because the the sort of Overall consensus, if you asked people, uh, was, yeah, yeah, look, we've got a 6-3 court. There's no way they're not going to erode abortion rights in the United States. That, That will be eroded. But they might try to do this thing where they don't actually say they're killing Roe and Casey. Instead, they're going to finagle around it so they can effectively neuter it without actually saying those magic words. After the oral arguments this time around, I was hearing over and over and over from experts on this saying, hmm, they may not have Roberts, but it looks like they have votes to just outright kill Roe and Casey. Um... And you know, the, the question then becomes, like I, I I heard absolutely nobody sort of saying, eh, you know, they'll the the, the the court'll somehow magically come around and you know, like they did with uh gay marriage and just leave it all standing. Um and You know, and I I remember Yvonne and I had arguments about this uh, back during the various confirmation hearings uh, during the Trump administration for Supreme Court justices, that this has been the conservative project on the courts for over a generation. They're not going to get to the point where they have six votes and then just let it drop. You know, it, you know. At this point, I'm betting they do say the magic words. But again, even if they don't, ninety nine percent of the effect is already there. Um, it depends. You know the the details do matter, and we won't know till next summer or so when they actually come up with the ruling. But look, you know, this is another point where. You can just go back and say, Hillary Clinton called it. Everything she was saying in the 2016 election about things that would happen if Donald Trump was elected, you know, she's been right on on most of them. Uh, And this is one of them where she specifically said, look, he will have the chance to nominate three or four justices to the Supreme Court. And that will impact everything. And yes, last term, there were one or two things where they're like, oh, look, they actually did a more moderate position, blah, blah, blah. This is the big one. One of the big ones, <laughs> I should say. But this is, this is the biggest one so far. And, you know, nobody's predicting they're going to pull their punches here. The only question is, do they say the magic words or do they gut everything without saying the magic words? And people seem at this point to saying, leaning to saying, "Yeah, they'll probably just say the magic words." I mean, after all, this is the essentially this is what they were fucking hired for. And people point to things they said in their confirmation hearings, and you know that said, "Oh, yo, it's settled law, precedent, blah 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 blah." Yeah, okay. We'll see how that goes next summer. Um. Only a couple of minutes left on this topic but the next question is of course what does the the post row landscape look like assuming that the court does gut abortion rights uh, over the summer when uh, when this is handed down um, I guess one of the biggest first of all immediately like there's all kinds of states that are like, if they officially say the magic words, they're like 17 or so states that actually have laws already on the book that are conditional on Roe being overturned that take, in, take effect immediately when the Supreme Court says Roe is null and void. Uh, and so, boom, if they actually say the magic words, things disappear overnight. Uh, If they don't say the magic words and just gut it, you can guarantee that state after state after state, anywhere that has a Republican trifecta that hasn't already tried to do so, will start passing more and more restrictive laws. And we'll see where that goes. Uh, Blue states, of course, will, you know, keep abortion rights. Um, And, you know, we'll will be a divided country along those lines. And, you know, one, one thing that people say is, well, you know, the people who want abortions can always just travel to the blue states. It ain't that easy for sort of your wealthy middle-class folks who are inclined that way. Sure. But people without the financial resources, teenagers whose parents don't approve, Uh, all of, you know, all kinds of situations, uh, you know, if you're stuck in the, uh, I'm out of time, but if you're stuck in the middle of the country somewhere in some red state, uh, it actually isn't that easy to just take off and go to New York or something and get your medical treatment and come back, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's not something that a lot of people are able to do. And so it makes a big difference. So people, you know, just to close this up, you know, there are some political implications. There is at least some possibility that, you know, if the Republicans, yeah, I say the Republicans, if the Republican appointed justices on the court, who, come on, let's not be kidding. Are our, our Republicans um, do do this. Is it an overreach that will cause a Democratic backlash in the November 2022 elections? Um, Maybe. Um, We've talked about how their Republican headwinds, and my next section is about that, but is this one of the few things that could energize Democrats enough to say, oh shit, we need to really come out and uh, start electing more Democrats to the House, Senate, um and local races all over the country since suddenly uh the state houses are going to have this ability I don't know I mean I, there's been a lot said about Virginia and uh New Jersey and how there was this swing to the Republicans so far and how Biden's uh poll poll numbers right now are low and I guess that's time for my next topic or mini topic in this round 2 um which is just general democratic pessimism about what's happening next and i i i will start 100% with me um it is the democrats at this point need something big to turn around over the next 11 months because right now things are not looking good first of all you have the just general trend that uh, the off party does well in midterms and with their incredibly narrow majorities, uh, you know, 50-50 in the Senate and just a tiny number of seats ahead in the House, they can't afford to lose anything. And in the off year, they, it's almost always that the party that holds the White House loses ground. But add to that the fact that the Republicans are winning the gerrymandering race uh, so far this time around uh, and are going to gain several seats in the House just because of that. Um, Add to that the the Republican efforts in a lot of purple states to add friction to the voting process to make it harder to vote, especially especially in ways that sort of that target racial minorities and democratically inclined voters and in areas. Uh, and of course, just to be clear, all of these laws are always written, are written to read neutrally. But if you look at who they affect, um, then you see they they are being written to help Republicans hurt Democrats universally. Um, Democrats are, are trying in a few areas to pass uh, legislation widening things. But of course, they're only succeeding in states that are already pretty democratic. So whatever. Um, you know, it's the same as the Electoral College. You run up the margin in New York and California. Who freaking cares uh, because of the way the system is structured? Um, now, I think they're good models and they should do that kind of stuff anyway. And, he, and and frankly, in places where it's not a close state, it's not even a priority. New York still has its issues. They're, I, I hear they're working on it. But it's less of a priority, because, duh. Um, You add that to the mix. Um, You add um, Democrats who are disillusioned because they voted for Democrats in 2020, and magically, you know, 11 months later, they haven't got everything they wanted. And so they're disillusioned, and they're like, what good was it to vote for a Democrat? You know voting sucks, it doesn't matter. I vote for the I voted the Democrats in, and they did jack shit and If you know how the system works and you know how the Republicans are able to block things because of structural impediments um and because of how the Senate works and because of this and because of that, and you know that how difficult it is with a bare majority and how you know most people don't pay enough attention to understand those things. they just go they just know I elected Democrats and they weren't able to achieve all this stuff. And they hear the constant drumbeat of the things that aren't good. Um, and Oh, we've got inflation. Oh, we've got this. So we've got that. And this problem hasn't been solved yet. And this thing is worse. And you know, because the, the, when you listen to the news, of course, they're going to talk about the negative things. This is always true. (laughs) This is, yeah, this is, doesn't matter who's in power, who's in not, who's in not, doesn't matter who's in power, who's not the, the news is always the negative stuff, the surprising stuff, the whatever. And I've said before, um, you know, when, when the Biden administration first started, I said, look, we know that we have this tailwind or headwind we know we know that we have the headwind of the always losing in the off party and you've got this tiny tiny majority in both houses of congress if the democrats want to maximize if the democrats want to win they have to do crazy shit i was saying okay, you're going to have to get rid of the filibuster on day one. You're going to have to uh, pack the court. You're going to have to add new states. You're going to have to pass really aggressive uh, legislation on uh, voters' rights and making a national standards on uh, requirements for voting and elections and all this kind of stuff. Um, within a few weeks, you know, f- first of all, I, I I'll be honest and I you know, when we get to our prediction show we'll, in a couple weeks, we'll we'll review my 2020 predictions and you'll see that I didn't even think the Democrats were going to take the Senate. I thought it was impossible that they'd get both those Georgia seats. I thought maybe they'd get one, but they wouldn't get two. They would not even have control of the Senate. So f- frankly, what they've actually gotten done is a hell of a lot more than I thought they would a year ago today. But even so, like I felt like in order to, once they did get that majority in the Senate, uh, including the tiebreaker vote from Harris, uh, in order to really take advantage of that, they would have had to do all that crazy stuff. Um, And because the Republicans threw what the the Trumpist republicans who have completely taken over the party at this point um who are doing all this crazy shit about the election and who did you know put aside the people storming the capitol on january 6th the shenanigans that the elected republicans tried to do in terms of discrediting the electoral vote um the 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 disputes that were going on in the courts all over the country on trivial issues, the pressure—you know, it, it, I, trivial is the wrong word—on bullshit issues where they were just hoping to get the right judges to say, "Okay, that's fine." Um, and the pressure on Secretary of States and election officials to uh, to do things that weren't quite actually just accurately reporting the votes. All of this kind of stuff, you know, does. Look, I am one of the ones who's in the mindset that, you know, it didn't work in 2020, but 2020 was a practice run (laughs) since it didn't work. It's a practice run, Uh, but it, it became clear that you only needed a handful of other people doing something different and you could have at the very least caused complete chaos. And so I feel like this is sort of a protect the future of democracy kind of moment, right? Um, But it became clear right after the Democrats actually swore in their majority and actually took control, which took forever because McConnell played games. But once they actually took the majority, it was clear within like maximum of a month Actually, it was clear even before that that look what you're actually gonna get is whatever Joe Mansion wants, and not one tiny bit more. And la- later, it became clear you had to throw cinema into that mix as well. But you're you're not gonna get anything that Mansion doesn't want. So all of the massive amounts of like trying to fluff things up. And talking about, you know, Sanders coming with, I want this $6 trillion, blah, blah, blah. You know, the only way that was going to happen is if Manchin folded on everything. And he wasn't going to fold on everything. And he made that clear, and he said it over and over and over again. And, frankly, all the stuff I'm talking about, about, like, the really radical things the Democrats needed to do, like, you know, like, like the voter, forget about new states, forget about packing the court, forget about all that, just the voting reforms. You need to kill the filibuster. And the second that Manchin was like, nope, no way, <laughs> there we go again, the second Manchin was like, no, I'm never doing that, I am never agreeing to kill the filibuster. At that point, it was clear that wasn't happening. Now, it, you still want to get the most you possibly can. Uh, and look, they will have done this big COVID stimulus thing initially. They've got infrastructure passed. They will get something, I believe, out of the Build Back Better. It's just a question of what. They'll, but they'll manage to get something. Um, and so a bunch of big things will have happened. But nowhere as big as a lot of Democrats wanted which gets you back to the democrats being disappointed and not turning out and maybe it, it, you know maybe the republicans you, it, it, actually succeeding on abortion will get some democrats to get their asses to the polls um but mm, I, I, I still I, I have the pessimistic view I, and i will be thrilled to no end if i am proven wrong but i have the you know it feels like again caveats. We've got almost a year. All kinds of things can happen. Maybe there'll be a Joe Biden miracle uh, and people will be loving him by the time we get to November and loving the Democratic Congress and really happy and thrilled and blah, blah, blah. But, absent that kind of amazing turnaround, I think the Republicans are going to take the House. The Republicans are going to take the Senate. Um, and the they're they're also I feel like it's going to be a uh, a significant wave that's going to reflect in a lot of state houses all over the country as well. There may be some uh, purple States who are just a little bit on the blue who shift into the red. Um, you know, so they may win some more ground at the state level as well. And, um, and then I think they will be able to take the leverage of that. um and, Unless Biden wins by a, you know, it it may it may be the kind of situation we had in 2020, which is Biden was had a little bit of a buffer, you know, if you looked at all the polls and stuff, um, they showed him uh, pretty ahead. But if you looked at the distributions on my website, uh, electiongraphs.com, and a bunch of the other analysis, they basically showed that what the numbers were saying, coupled with the uncertainty – and you have to couple it with the uncertainty – was that you know basically the range of possible outcomes was from – a very, very, very narrow Trump win. Like, Trump absolutely could have won. But if he won, it would have been narrowly to a big Biden blowout. But what that meant was Biden could afford to underperform expectations by a significant amount or con- or, or alternately said the polls could overestimate Biden by quite a bit and he would still win. Um, but I, I I feel like you know, Again, all of the shenanigans that you could do with the Electoral College and all of that kind of stuff come into play if it, it, you know, if you have a Biden win, but it's super, super, super close. I think the Republicans could get away with playing some of these shenanigans and pushing it over to edge to a narrow uh, Trump win. Uh, assuming Trump is running again, or whoever, DeSantis, whatever. Um, but if... If it's a Biden blowout, then you're not I I don't think you bring you know. If the election was today, I don't think it would be a Biden blowout. He's not doing great in the polls right now. But of course, there's three years. Three years until the election. I there's a lot that can happen in the year before the congressional election. Talking about 2024. Is insane. It's just too far away. We don't even know who's running. For all we know, neither Biden nor Trump will be candidates, and that will change the dynamics entirely. Uh, But in my pessimist hat again, I fully expect the Republicans will take the House in 2022. They will take the Senate in 2022. They will take a bunch, they will take some additional state houses in 2022. And you'll probably get a Republican in 2024. You know, I, I'm just in that pessimistic mood right now, and a lot of Democrats are. But the problem is that can't translate into, oh well, so there's no point. I won't turn out to vote <laughs> because then it turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, the the those Democrats need to look and say we're potentially in trouble here, and figure out what the fuck to do about it, and take the time that they have to do something. And frankly, a lot of it is get out the vote type stuff, especially in the face of uh, the, the, you know, the, the voter suppression type tactics and, and, you know, voter suppression is a loaded word. It's adding friction to the voting process to make it more difficult, you know? Um But yeah, because it, 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 every once in a while you, you see those charts of like, you know the quote unquote real election for twenty twenty or other years that adds you know they have the regular pie chart of like Trump, Biden, third parties, uh but adding in a wedge for people who didn't vote at all, people who could have voted but didn't uh and that's a huge group of people, and it would change everything if those people actually voted, of course. They usually don't and probably won't again. You know, 2020 had an incredibly high turnout because of the Trump factor, because with COVID, there was vote by mail and easier voting in most places across the country. Uh, Don't know that we'll see that again. Anyway, okay, I I should have moved on to the next thing. Um, Got two more things to talk about. Set the timer. I don't know if I'll spend a whole 10 minutes on this one. Uh, I, I do want to wrap things up before too long because I, I, w- I want to actually sleep before work on Monday. I, I know it's it's crazy talk. Um, but anyway, the next thing is Twitter's, uh, Twitter's changed some policies. Uh, Jack Dorsey left as the CEO of Twitter, and I don't know if it was connected or not. But within a few days, the Twitter safety group was tossing out new rules on certain things. The one that was most interesting and got the most press was a rule basically saying you can't post a picture of a private individual, picture or video of private individuals without their consent. And they, they gave this rule as sort of a, an anti-harassment, anti-doxing kind of thing to, to, to protect like activists and other people uh, you know, because they, they don't want um, you you look, you you can see the logic of it, right? Like you can see how easily posting pictures of individuals could be used as a harassing tactic, right? You, You go up to some random person that, or I guess the, the use case isn't a random person. There's somebody on Twitter that you don't like. So you go stalk them and you take pictures of them doing stuff and you take video and you, you post embarrassing stuff on Twitter. And you can see why that's bad. It, it, it's the same, you know, it, it, it's maybe not quite as drastic, but it's in the same universe as like revenge porn and things like that. Um, but here's the problem they announced this policy and immediately the first heavy usage of this policy was to get stuff that was outing white nationalists off twitter and what what do i mean by outing white nationalists i mean uh people who are in anti-extremism groups who have gone out and got video of uh, white nationalists, and I'm not talking just like regular old MAGA people, I'm talking which arguably they're all white nationalists, but whatever, I'm talking about the out and right, like they don't even deny it, they are full flat out white nationalists and will say it if you ask it to, to their face, and getting videos of them saying things like that at speeches, at demonstrations, whatever, and... uh. Those folks have been complaining to Twitter and saying, get this stuff off. This is a video of me as a private individual without my consent. Um, And if you think about it, the other places that this could be used with, you know, with the various videos that have come out of the police doing various things to uh, black people that they shouldn't, would some of these be restricted? Are those, I guess there's an argument that the police aren't private individuals, so maybe they're exempt and it's newsworthy, et cetera uh but how about that um that lady who was in central park and uh called the police on that bird watcher a couple uh years ago i don't know how long ago it was when whenever it was um is that okay if you've got uh people you know private people at various uh you know if 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 you go to a store and someone is behaving inappropriately at the store is it okay to post that? Is it? You know, we've, we've seen all kinds of videos over the last couple of years. Uh, forget the police for a second. I, I'm going to put them in the general genre of Karen videos, <laughs> you know, where, you know, somebody is being overtly racist in public or just somebody is being an asshole to the staff at a restaurant or you know, otherwise misbehaving in a public space. Is it not okay? To spread that? I, I mean, I look at that and say, of course it is. They were, these actions were taking place in a public space. Um, and even, and I, I, if it was happening in the privacy of somebody's home, uh, I don't know, even there, right? Like, it, t- imagine the situation of domestic violence. You know, the, the person being abused captures it on camera. Can they post it? Can they post it to prove that they've in fact seen whatever? And, you know, you could say, no, they, they, you know, look, it's still a private thing. Maybe they can show it to the police, but they shouldn't publicize it. Well, you know, a lot of what we're seeing these days is that when they go to the authorities, the authorities blow them off and say, this doesn't matter. We don't care. This is not worth our attention, blah, blah, blah. So how do they actually get attention and action? They make it public themselves because everybody can be a publisher right now. You don't have to take it to the newspaper or your local television station. You can just put it out there yourself. Now, you can argue it's one side, it's misleading, blah, blah, blah. But I'd say a lot of these kinds of videos that have come out of just like people recording what they see happening – have exposed a lot of behavior that in the past was sort of swept under the rug that shouldn't be. Now, Twitter has already apologized for some of what they've done in the beginning of this policy. They say they've taken down some videos that they shouldn't, and they've reversed their decision, but I've seen some reports of... it it ping-ponging back and forth. Like, they take something down, the person appeals, they say, oops, we made a mistake, they put it back up, and then it gets taken down again. They clearly, look, this is an issue that's very, very hard. (laughs) You know? Um, Clearly, sometimes people can post videos and pictures and stuff online, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or wherever, that are clearly harassing and abusive and whatever, and have no redeeming value. It's just plain unfair. Um, In other cases, they're exposing real wrongdoing and real bad behavior. And how do you make that call? And how do you make a rule that properly, you know, allows the good stuff but doesn't allow the bad stuff? And the answer is, it's incredibly hard. It might not even be possible to make a clear distinction here. It's always going to be a judgment call. And that's why people say moderation at scale is hard. It is a very hard problem because some of it might be automatable. A lot of it is not. And if it's not, you have to rely on human judgment and humans will not agree with each other on what's right and what's wrong. And you know they will come to different conclusions even if you give them you know a rule book on what's allowed and what's not you know they're still not going to agree and if you do make a give a rule book that's too pres- that's too prescriptive your rule book is going to be wrong some of the times uh so it, it it's just a mess and i think twitter's idea on this um it's just not practical, and I figure they're they're gonna they'll they'll figure out something. They might back off on a little bit. They may say they've made the announcement, and then it sort of just disappears into the history of time. But this is one of those things that it also, by the way, it can be used unfairly. Like you know, if you've got the the wrong internal guidance on part, you you can take down all the good stuff and leave the bad stuff. You know, it it's a mess. I don't think Twitter's found the right balance here yet we'll see how it goes um it's hard okay when it i uh, you know i've I've even forgotten the name of the damn town already um when the school shooting first happened uh a couple hours I don't know a few hours after it happened there had been no mention of it yet on our curmudgeons corner slack And Yvonne, like, posted something there saying, another school shooting and nobody even cares. It's just blah, whatever. I forget his exact words, but something along those lines. And I replied to it saying, yeah, you know, I've been seeing alerts about that all morning, but I didn't even bother to, like, post the news alert to our Slack because it seems like it's so normal. I mean, it's the wrong word, but it it happens frequently enough that it's like, oh, another school shooting. And when Yvonne posted that, I was like, you know, that can't be the attitude, right? I mean, we we can't really be at the point where it's like, yeah, yeah, it it, it happens every month or so. I mean, what, what can you do? But. That is where we are. And it once again ties into all those, that stuff I was talking about last time in terms of, you know, the Democrats would have to be aggressive and kill the filibuster and do all this. And even then, it would probably go to the court. Yeah, you know, if they made restrictions that were too harsh, this court would strike it down. So if they don't accompany it with expanding the court, then that's you screwed anyway, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's like, what can you do? And I come back to the same answer that I've come back to over and over for the last few years, whenever we've talked about gun stuff, is you have to change the attitudes first. Um, You know, it's sort of like the I've I've compared it frequently to the efforts against smoking. You could it would not have been effective at all. To just outlaw tobacco cigarettes, that is, is just prohibition doesn't work. If there's something out there that people want, they are going to get it. Period. However, you know, a constant generational drumbeat stigmatization of this is stupid, this is bad, this is, you know, this will hurt your health, whatever. Slowly but surely, less and less people wanted to smoke. And uh, the amount of smoking in our culture has dropped precipitously. It it obviously isn't zero. It's probably never going to be zero. But compared, you know, to a few decades ago, it's an entirely different universe. You know, and yes, there were laws involved there as well in terms of smoking in public places, smoking on airplanes, all this kind of stuff. Um, But the big part of it was public attitude started to change too. And unless you get to the point where the public, uh, you know, turns around, where you it's not acceptable, (laughs) you know, for yeah. where people think you 're crazy if you're if you if you have a bunch of firearms, et cetera, and look in many parts of the country we 're already there um, and regardless of what the electoral reality is, like poll after poll after poll shows that on on actual issues of sort of reasonable additional gun control in terms of requirements for having a weapon, background checks. Uh, laws for, and this gets to what we're about to talk about with this kid, uh, laws for making sure your firearms are secured in a safe manner, blah, 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 all of this kind of stuff. Support is really high on a bipartisan basis, even even a majority of Republicans. But it's still one of those issues that just structurally, you know, is not going anywhere. In our Congress, Uh, you know, there are questions about what would be effective and what would not, and, you know, you you can argue about that. But until you get to a situation where either the public at large is so so anti-gun that you can pass some of these things, or you structurally change things like the filibuster to enable things sooner, uh, you know, and have courts that won't just say Second Amendment violation, you're done— um, you're not getting anywhere, but in this case, it's just so. These dumbass parents, these dumbass parents, the kid, first of all, the parents appear to be you know, they 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 appear to be somewhat nuts themselves, but their their teenage kid was obviously troubled in a variety of ways. And they give him a goddamn gun as an early Christmas present on back, on Black Friday. And they keep it around the house unsecured where he can have easy access to it. They were called into school to talk about the fact that he had drawn this picture of him killing people and saying, help me and all of this kind of stuff. And they told him to please take him home and get him some goddamn counseling. And they refused to take him home. They were like, whatever, let him go to school. It turns out he had the gun in his backpack right then and there. And he went on his rampage later that day. And the mother, apparently there was a text message, you know, earlier with him getting caught in school, searching for ammo when he shouldn't have been. And like, look, look, you know, search history, you know, I guess shopping for ammo is okay. But like, obviously there were other warning signs about this kid going on. And his mom was like, ha ha ha, just don't get caught next time. Really? Really? And then they go on the fucking run. Because they were charged, uh, you know, in conjunction with this, because when the prosecutor saw that they they caught the kid, obviously, he didn't kill himself. They caught him um, on the scene and uh, they were they're charging him with multiple murders, but they're charging the parents uh, with manslaughter, I guess, uh, basically because they thought the case was so obvious that they were negligent. In this situation and did not take the very, the very basic precautions that they should have to prevent it to to not enable this, you know, it's not even prevent they enabled this in so many ways. And it's just like, and, and this is another case where, you know, frankly, the fact that they ran. Probably means that even if even if they get like acquitted of some of the other stuff they're now guilty of like trying to evade arrest and all this kind of stuff so they're the they'll, they'll, they'll probably get like something but I mean I could I don't know exactly the details of the laws they're charging them under and the theory of the case and all that I guess we'll find out eventually it seems obvious to me that they are in part responsible for what happened here. I just don't know how that meshes with the law and whether you'll have another situation like you, like you did with Rittenhouse, where clearly the kid was stupid and doing things he shouldn't have done, but given what the law is, you know, he had a viable self defense claim. I don't know what the claim would be if <laughs> the parents here. It's like, well, you know, it it was legal to. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, this is not a question of. I I I I just get mad thinking about it. It's just like so ridiculously stupid, um, and I, I guess these parents couldn't see the warning signs because every warning sign that applied to their kid apparently applied to them too. Because uh, yeah, okay. There you go. There's the timer. And that that's the last topic. Uh, what am I doing with the timer? Ah! See, the thing is, I always want to, like, push it to make it stop. But if you actually do anything with it, it actually just extends the ring. And the only way to make it just actually stop is to not touch it and leave it alone and let it finish its ring. And well, anyway. Hey, that's a show. That's a show, people. Um thank you for tuning in again. Uh, I presume next week. Oh, I guess there's one more thing I should mention. Um, you know, I, I, I've been, I've been updating folks on, uh, my wife, Brandy Donaghy's sort of political career. And I mentioned a few weeks ago that she lost the race that she was in for County council here in Snohomish County. Um, there, then there were more developments. The, uh, let's see how how's how's how did the steps on this go? President Biden nominated Washington State's Secretary of State, who was a Republican, but a rational Republican, uh, to some sort of thing dealing with election integrity on the federal level. So there was an opening in the Secretary of State's office. So the governor. Appointed someone to that spot. The person he appointed happened to be the state senator from the forty-fourth legislative district here in Washington State, which is happens to be where we live. Uh, so that was Steve Hobbs. Steve Hobbs went and became Secretary of State. There's now an opening for a state senator in the forty-four in the forty-fourth legislative district. So there needs to be an appointment to that spot. Uh, there was one clear candidate for that. Um, which was our, we have two state house members in the 44th legislative district. Uh, one of whom has been around for a long time, uh, by the name of John Lovick. um, and he stood up to be the candidate for that. He did not really have any other people vying for that appointment. Uh, there's a multi-stage process how these appointments work, uh, and I'll get into that in a second. But uh, it, 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 Lovick apparently is a shoe in for that spot, so he will move from the House to the Senate. That, in turn, opens up a slot for the State House in the 44th Legislative District. And uh, it's an appointment process. Uh, as you may have guessed why I'm talking about this, uh, my wife put her name in the ring uh, for that appointment. Uh, the way that it works is that the, the precinct committee officers for the 44th Legislative District uh, vote for nominations for that spot. They vote for a list of three. And those three end up going to the county council and the county council has to pick from one of those three. Um, if there's a majority in the county council, then they get the spot. Otherwise, the governor gets to pick. Uh, well, just a few hours ago, the 44th legislative district had their vote of the precinct committee officers. Um, and there were three slots. Uh, my wife got slot number two. Uh, So she is one of the three candidates uh, that is moving on to be, for the county council to select which of those three will uh, become the next state rep from the 44th legislative district. Uh, The county council votes on uh, December fifteenth, so there's a little bit of time between now and then for these three candidates to make their cases uh, for uh, the five uh, county council members. Uh, officially, that all happens on the fifteenth. There, the county council will interview the three candidates, and uh, then they will take a vote uh, and see you know which of the three wins. Um, in reality, you know. There's all kinds of conversations that will happen before the 15th. I am sure all five of the county council members will probably have conversations with all three of the candidates, uh, you know, before we get to the 15th. Uh, there will be all kinds of people lobbying for their preferred candidates before then. One of the interesting things, of course, is one of these five county council people who gets to vote on this. Is the person who just beat my wife for the uh, for the county council seat? Um, but uh, in any case, uh, so we'll see. The, my wife is in another political race, although it's a very different kind. Uh, first, she had to convince uh, these uh, uh, these precinct committee officers, or PCOs, of which there were sixty-seven, and about. 50 to 52 actually showed up and, uh, were involved in the voting, uh, for the three slots. Uh, so for the last two weeks, uh, my wife has been, you know, calling up those 67 people trying to get support and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and she ended up in, you know, in one of the three slots, uh, like I said, in slot number two, you know, and. Yeah, they, you know, there's, there's math there and like, you know, that does mean that somebody else was in slot number one, which was the preferred slot, but the, the county council doesn't have to care. They pick from the top three, whoever they like. So there's a whole new round and now it's five people you have to convince. So, and, uh, the number one slot honestly does have an advantage because they were the first pick. But uh in recent examples where the county council has had to do this, uh, you know, one time they did go with the top pick, one time they went with the number two pick. And so we'll we'll see how it goes. Anyway, uh, so that's still going on for my wife. And so she may end up in the state house. We'll see. Okay, uh I guess I, you know, that was one last thing. I didn't intend. Yeah, I I, I only thought to mention it here at the very end. Uh in any case ah, the stuff that is normally at the end. Uh, Thank you for listening to Curmudgeons Corner. If you want to get in touch with us or see our archive or or anything like that, uh, go to curmudgeons-corner.com and you'll see all of that stuff. You'll see all the ways to contact us. You'll see the archive. You'll see blah, 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 blah. Actually, there is not all that much blah, blah, blah there. It's basically what I said. I guess there's a graph at the bottom of, like, how many people are downloading the show, and you can see just, how low that number is. But, you know, hey, we like what it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, it. Uh, one of the things you'll see there is a link to our Patreon if you want to give us a little tip. Uh, it Patreon is set up for recurring donations, for monthly donations. If you don't want to do monthly, but do want to give us a tip, uh, just let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll give you my PayPal or something. Yeah, not not a big deal. You can send us money other ways. Um, and at, you know, if you do go the... Patreon method, though. Uh, at various levels, we'll mention you on the show, we'll send you a mug, we'll do other things. At $2 a month or more, we will send you an invite to our Curmudgeon's Corner Slack, which is a chat room where we're talking all week long and sharing links and all that kind of stuff. Uh, lately, uh, we've, we've shared a lot of the news links, and I won't go into all of them. Uh, there's been some discussion of retirement planning. This seems to come up a lot because a lot of us on the Slack are around the age where you know retirement is coming at us uh, you know, retirement is closer than the start of our careers. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but, yeah, so there's been some talk about that. So, uh, yeah, t- t- take a look. And, and, hey, we will invite you to the Commendance Corner Slack if, you're, if you contact us and ask and are nice, even if you don't give us money. Uh, but, hey, that's it. Hey, I, I, I just said hey over and over and over again. Hey, 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 hey. Okay, that's enough haze. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Stay safe. Uh, uh, Hopefully, Yvonne will be back with us next week and our calendars will work out because it wasn't entirely Yvonne's fault he wasn't here. I wasn't available Thursday. He wasn't available Friday. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, have a great week, everybody. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.